The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. The end of the world as we know it belongs to God, and He's watching it all unfold. All prophecy regarding the first coming of Jesus was fulfilled, and all prophecy is about ready to be fulfilled concerning His second coming. The blessed hope of the sudden appearing of the Lord is our comfort as we see the world becoming ever crazier. So let's purpose especially to guard our faith. And today I want to headline eight signs of the Lord's imminent appearing, all tied into the fact that the church is declining just as prophesied, but Israel is ascending and heading toward her greatest revival also just as the Bible predicted. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. In the New Testament, in Acts 1-6, the resurrected Jesus told his disciples that before he could restore the kingdom to Israel, first they had to reach the nations with the gospel. And what is the gospel? Unfortunately, our biblically illiterate society no longer knows what is the gospel. But the gospel truth is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried, he rose from the dead according to the Hebrew scriptures, and he ascended to heaven and is coming again to fulfill all Bible prophecy concerning the Messianic kingdom. Everybody who decides to put their trust in the Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, now can be saved. But I have to warn you, time is running out. Most Days, I look at one of the many websites that compile major news headlines and they all scream of conditions preceding the second coming of Jesus. So today I want to share eight signs of the Lord's imminent appearing, all pointing to the fact that we must urgently call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, for salvation before it's too late. So sign number one. Everybody should know by now the super sign of the last days is the reemergence of what we call the miracle on the Mediterranean, the rising again of the nation of Israel. This sign signals the closing of the church age. The church world is especially without excuse if we don't know Bible prophecy concerning this. It's been said that every time a nation tries to wipe out the Jews, they gain a holiday. In Egypt, when Pharaoh tried to destroy the Jews, they got the Passover holiday. And in the book of Esther, a wicked, power-hungry man tried to annihilate them, but they prevailed and gained the holiday of Purim. Then a crazed Hellenistic king tried to destroy the Jews, and instead they got the Hanukkah festival of lights. Hitler tried to kill all the Jewish people, and they gained their great modern holiday, the Israeli Independence Day, the 14th of May, 1948, 
one of the greatest Bible prophecy days in history. Yet, time is running out. Psalm 90 explains and declares that a person's normal lifespan is 70 years, or if by reason of strength, 80 years. We've now advanced 74 years into Israel being a reconstituted nation. And Jesus prophesied that the generation that sees the fig tree blossom will see his coming. So are you ready? Messiah Jesus is coming again. So the main sign of our generation is Israel returning to the promised land. Isaiah 11 declares it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of the people. The first time God regathered Israel was from the Babylonian dispersion. But the second time in our generation, he set up a banner for the nations and he's assembling the outcast of Israel and gathering the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, the second sign I want to mention is the signs in the heavens. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens for signs and seasons. The Hebrew word for seasons is moedim, meaning appointed times or sacred seasons. In English, we translate moedim as feasts. And in the English language, of course, we associate feasts with food. But the Hebrew word primarily means God's appointed seasons. Jesus prophesied in Luke 21 that there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars pointing to his return. And in this generation, the entire earth has been put on notice with specific repetitive signs in the sun, moon, and stars. These are not regular happenings, but they are portentous tetrads, meaning four sets of blood moons, having occurred within the last 74 years. A fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, where God said, I will show wonders in the heavens, the sun shall be turned into darkness, that's the solar eclipse, and the moon into blood, a lunar eclipse, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. If these blood moons did in fact announce the regathering of the Israeli nation and then the reunification of Jerusalem, in my view, these events merit celestial announcements. After all, God has been waiting for 2,000 years to redeem Israel. The Jewish reconquering of their ancient capital fulfilled the prophecy of Jesus in Luke 21 that the Jews would be scattered to the nations and Jerusalem would be under the feet of Gentiles, but only until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The phenomena of blood moon tetrads happen yet again on major Jewish feasts in both 2014 and in 2015. And now, is it any coincidence that the Jewish people have started pushing for the rebuilding of their third temple? In addition to various solar eclipses and these blood moon signs, in September 2017, Revelation chapter 12 was actually enacted in the stars. A woman, the constellation Virgo, was clothed with the sun, the moon appeared under her feet, and around her head was a garland of 12 stars as she was in labor to give birth. 
This woman of Revelation chapter 12 represents the nation of Israel who birthed the man-child, the Messiah. And the planet Jupiter retrograded out of the constellation's womb in a heavenly drama depicting Revelation 12. Jupiter's ancient Hebrew name just happens to be Sadiq, meaning the righteous, in association with Messiah. And you can search the internet for explanations in more detail of this drama that was played out in the stars in 2017. Number three, the sign of Jerusalem under Jewish rule. In Luke 21, Jesus prophesied Jerusalem would be trodden under the feet of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And sure enough, the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and the sanctuary, took the Jews captive and dispersed them. But in the Six-Day War of June 1967, Jerusalem was reunited under Jewish control. And this was a major end-time sign that all the churches should acknowledge. But unfortunately, most denominations don't because too many are promoting replacement theology. But God's foreign policy on the matter is settled in Zechariah chapter 12, where he says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem, God says, a very heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who try to heave it away will surely be cut into pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. The Trump administration recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and moved the American embassy there. His bold decision energized the Jews to purpose to rebuild their temple. But the subsequent American administration has been trying to undo everything Trump put into place. You see, Satan knows the sign of Jerusalem in Jewish hands, that it's a harbinger of the return of Jesus, spelling Satan's ultimate doom. Even now, Israel's former best friend, the USA, is putting pressure on Israel to give up East Jerusalem. But according to Zechariah chapter 14, Jesus will return to where? To East Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. But Jesus also told us that when we begin to see these things take place, we should look up and lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. So I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. And in this world, Jesus said, we're going to have tribulation, but we should be of good cheer, he said, because he has overcome the world. Bible prophecy is telling us to endure because loud and clear, Jesus, I'm saying, he's on the way. Now, a fourth major sign is the division of the land of Israel. You see, God put on record in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations and parted my land. So let that be a stern warning to any government that attempts to meddle with the boundaries of Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria or the Golan Heights. Because God clearly says, I'm going to enter into judgment 
with the nations because of the way they've treated my people, that they've scattered them around the world, but they have divided up my land. Whose land? God says it's his land and he gave it to the Jews as his administrators of that land. And when is God going to do these judgings of these presumptuous nations who are meddling and wanting to part his land? Well, the prophet Joel just told us that this judgment will happen at the same time that he brings home his Jewish people. And that's our generation. Now, number five, sign number five. This is another biggie. The sign of Gog and Magog arising. The looming Ezekiel war on the horizon. The Gog-Magog war of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 is now at Israel's door. The Russian bear is angry because it's lost its cubs. Putin has never gotten over the fact that the former Soviet Union has been broken up and he wants to regain territory. Furthermore, Russia is in league with dangerous nations like Iran, Israel's mortal enemy. In verse 5 of Ezekiel 38, Persia, which is, of course, modern-day Iran, is listed along with Russia as an enemy that attempts to invade Israel in the last days. And already, Iranian proxies are in league with terrorists and their menaces on Israel's borders. But there's an important prophecy, and it's found in Jeremiah chapter 49, in verse 35, and it's yet to be fulfilled. And I believe that this prophecy is referring to Iran's nuclear capabilities. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, he said, I'm going to break the bow of Elam. Now, Elam is territory located in southern Iran where their nuclear facilities are. And he says, I will scatter them. There shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. For God says, I'm going to bring disaster upon Elam, my fierce anger, and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. Furthermore, in his mercy, God says in Jeremiah 49, verse 38, I will set my throne in Elam and will destroy from there the king and the princes. He's referring to the headstrong leaders who are threatening Israel and opposing even Iran's revival of Christianity. You see, the mullahs of the Islamic Republic of Iran believe that their God has mandated them to destroy Israel. But this chapter, Jeremiah 49, is going to be fulfilled, as will Ezekiel 38, where God says with great indignation, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh. And he says, I'm going to put hooks into your jaws and lead you out. And Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya are in confederation, and many peoples are with you. So very soon, Israel is going to be forced to take, perhaps very soon, preemptive action against Iran. And because of Iran's pact with Russia, then Russia will be pulled into a war with Israel. So watch this space. Now, sign number six, vile anti-Semitism is on the rise. It's being called the new anti-Semitism, but it's in reality the old hatred of God. 
no matter if they call it anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism, it's enmity against God. The Jewish people are the most persecuted in the history of the world because of Satan's anger against them as the people of God. Look at the irrational hatred of Israel on college campuses. And now European countries threaten to arrest Israeli officials. The final scene in human history is that the entire world is coming against God's people, Israel. The nations are like an anti-Israel club stirred up by Satan. 60% of hate crimes in New York City this year targeted Jews, even though Jews only represent a small fraction of the population. Israel is just the subject of scorn by the United Nations because the Bible predicts all the nations are gathered against Israel in the last days. And more resolutions have been passed by the UN against Israel than any other country. Sign number seven is the sign of the Jewish temple. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul warned, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, those end times, except there come a falling away first, and then that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, he's referring to the Antichrist, who will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, Paul said, claiming himself as God. And according to Daniel chapter 9, the Antichrist, along with other nations, will enter into an agreement which the Bible calls a covenant with death. And we're watching all of the converging signs right now leading up to this prophesied false peace treaty. Everything is being set up for the Jews to rebuild their house of worship and the golden menorah, the garments of the priesthood, the implements of sacrificial worship are ready. And the nascent Sanhedrin has created even anointing oil to anoint the Messiah when he arrives. And I want to show you an illustration from a book called Witnessing the End by Dr. Christian Widener. It shows a newly constructed third temple side by side with the Muslim Dome of the Rock Shrine. The area of the ancient temple's Holy of Holies is in the vacant portion where the new temple can be built without disturbing any Muslim edifice so that a Jewish house of prayer can be added. Sign number eight is that prophesied following away that great apostasy. So many of today's churches preach a version of gospel light, wishy-washy doctrine, and if you ask them to outline their belief system, it's all vague, casual, worldly. They bring in smoke machines and disheveled bands. But these seeker-friendly congregations, generally speaking, don't manage to ground people in this word. They wouldn't dare to excommunicate a serial sinner flaunting his or her sin. The secular rage against God is gaining daily momentum. And unless the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against it, we're definitely in the last days. God's rainbow has been usurped, and His anger is beating against the floodgates of His mercy. More than 62 million American lives have been lost to abortion. The most dangerous place to be has become a mother's womb, and people demand the right to kill babies even up to birth, and sometimes in some states after birth for a number of days. According to a George Barnard survey, 44% of evangelicals 
claim that the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching concerning abortion. And 40% said they do not believe human life is sacred, even though the Bible admonishes us to choose life and condemns child sacrifice. All of this is especially shocking coming from so-called evangelicals in the survey. Furthermore, because they are so poorly taught these days, 43% of evangelicals said that when Jesus was on earth, he sinned. That's a very heretical and dangerous belief because it's theologically important that the Savior lived a life without sin, fulfilling the law on our behalf. The Bible teaches that the Lord's righteousness is imputed to every believer. But if you erroneously believe that Jesus sinned, then you no longer have a perfect Savior to pay for your sins. And tragically, that's what 43% of so-called evangelicals now believe, according to the survey. The Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. The gospel is described in the New Testament as a mystery. And one of the mysteries is that the blood of Jesus has not lost its power after 2,000 years. It ever flows. Its power never diminishes to save us when we put our faith demand upon his blood. In fact, the blood of Jesus is much more powerful than the blood of the Passover lamb in Egypt. The blood of animals brought freedom to the Israelites in those days, but the blood of Jesus grants not just pardon from our sins, but also eternal life. No animal sacrifice could give us eternal life. When Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, we enter into a blood covenant with him. He is our brother in this covenant. And our victory over sin and death is guaranteed due to his righteousness. You see, the Lord's blood is not corruptible. After his resurrection, mysteriously, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus took his blood into heaven and put it in the Holy of Holies there. So there's still life in the blood of Jesus because there's nothing dead in heaven. The apostle Peter taught that we're not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Messiah, even as of a lamb without blemish. But we're living in an age of apostasy when the church no longer teaches the power of the blood of Jesus. Of course, there are some churches that still do, but they are a remnant. We have to face the fact that the New Testament prophesied that in the last days, evil men will go from bad to worse. And that's why we're seeing the most unbelievable horrors and perversions going on in the news. So a major end time sign is apostasy. Things are going to continue to get worse as in the days of Noah, when the earth was filled with violence. But the good news is that the power of the gospel is still available to save us. I was privileged to grow up in a Christian America, but the great falling away was predicted for the last days. And increasingly, we're seeing persecution of believers. But on the other hand, judgment is beginning with the house of God. And so if we think it through, it's a good thing that God's cleaning up his house. There's a purifying of the church going on so that the Lord might present the church to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so this is happening right now. The remnant church is being washed. 
The Lord is purifying his bride and we're making ourselves ready. While spiritual warfare is intensifying because the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only the Holy Spirit is restraining the lawlessness until the church age is finished and the rapture happens. And then the lawless one, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, will be revealed according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. But whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. One of the indicators that we know we're in the end times is this Antichrist spirit. You see it everywhere operating. A spirit against Jesus, against life. It's a pro-death spirit against the word of God with increased deceptions and more people rejecting the word of God and being turned over to a reprobate mind because they love not the truth. And we were warned that this apostasy would come. The institutional churches no longer teach the full counsel of God and they have taken on board popular doctrines of demons. Thankfully, there are still some very brave great pastors who are faithfully teaching Bible prophecy. But the mainline Protestants are toying with social justice and feel-good doctrines and gospel light, not demanding that people renounce their sins, but rather taking on board heretical and profane teachings of the world against, for example, traditional marriage, just agreeing with anything goes, going along to get along. The principles of the Bible are being set aside for experiences, signs, wonders, miracles. And I absolutely believe in healing. And in this ministry, we teach the healing power of God. But the supernatural can't be our only focus. We must promote all of this word of God, not feelings, not just experience, but the whole counsel of what this Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. Sadly, a common denominator of the heretical churches is that they never talk about Jesus coming back. They're just too tied to this world, and they really don't want to be ruled by the Lord's righteous standards. Pastors who should know better are throwing the Bible and Israel under the bus. They've been deceived into taking on board the vicious narrative that Israel is an apartheid state, even though Israel has an Arab judge on the Supreme Court an Arab parliamentarian serving in the Israeli Knesset, and Arabic is one of the official languages of Israel, and so on and so forth. Thankfully, I know some brave Palestinians who are willing to acknowledge that Israeli Arabs are not second-class citizens. One of my Arab friends recently told me about his family's experiences when his daughter was hospitalized with a life-threatening illness in Jerusalem. And he said the Israelis on the hospital staff could not have been sweeter. That's the word he used. He said the Israeli staff were compassionate and treated him and his family like equals. Another Arab friend told me that he dropped his enmity against the Jews when the Israeli emergency service, Magan David Adom, saved the lives of both his mother and uncle without prejudice. Well, all of the eight signs I've mentioned indicate how close we are to the end of the church age and the coming of Jesus in the atmosphere for his bride. After the rapture of the church, I must warn you the world will be plunged into the horrific short period of history called the Great Tribulation, and you want to be spared from that. With all of this in mind, you'll find it helpful 
and encouraging to visit our website, exports.tv, and our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site to watch our entire library of videos anytime. Our program, Exports, is based upon Daniel 1132b, declaring that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits, meaning will accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. You can also download our free Jerusalem Channel app. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact me on social media. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darig. Shalom. Maranatha.